praise this morning. One day we will stand with the ransomed millions and we will bow before his throne as that song just sang. We'll join the everlasting throng, the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Would you go ahead and be seated as we continue to worship this morning? The choir is going to present a song for you, but this is not just a song for you to sit back and listen to. Uh, what a great song. Um, the book of Psalms just over and over talks about how God is lifted up. He is high above the earth. He is the one who is above every name. He has power over all. He's the one who created everything that we see, everything that we know about. He is most high, and that's what this simple song says. Throughout the endless ages, you will be crowned with praises, Lord most high. In the middle of it, I'm gonna turn around and ask you to join us, so be paying attention while we sing. Thank you. 
heaven cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of Heaven. It's only by your blood, it's only through your mercy, Lord, I love. I bring an offering of worship to my need. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive. Redeemed us, 
Lord, you say in your word that even before the foundation of the earth was laid, that you would plan for us to do wonderful things. Lord, you'd plan for us to do good things for your kingdom. Lord, thank you for thinking so much of us, poor, pitiful creatures that we are. So Lord, this morning we just say that we are yours completely. We bring an offering of our lives this morning. We love you, Lord. I bring an offering of worship to
Yeah, everybody in retail saying, I know all those people, right? <laughs> well, good morning. It's hard to believe this is the last sermon in the Boiling Point series. This is installment six, and we're coming to the end today, and our title is uh, Chill Factor, Anger Solutions. You know, I, I think anybody who watches what's going on in public culture, like we've seen demonstrated in the drama today, would understand why I would be interested in, in bringing to you a series of messages on anger and dealing with anger. You know, it seems like every place we turn in public life anymore, anger is the currency in which people trade. Uh, if you watch television news, especially uh, cable news, you see talking heads presenting opposite points of view. And it seems like the more angry they are, the more interesting they are, the more we pay attention to them. There are sports shows in which uh, guests are scored positively by running smack or by talking angrily. It's almost as if we're... we're we're, we're congratulating and we're lifting up and praising people for being angry. It's a currency that people deal with, and we see it every day all over, uh, all, all, all through our lives. 
But it's time for me to own up now to what got me into this series because it's a rather personal thing. And so as I close out the series this morning, I want to talk real honestly with you about how this series came to be. Uh, you should understand that, I, as I've said throughout this series, I, I struggle with anger. It's a problem that I've dealt with all my life. I'm very intense. I, I can become agitated. I bore easily. And I, as I've said, I don't suffer foolishness gladly. I am a very intense person. But I also know the danger of anger and what it can do to me and what it can do to the people around me. So throughout my life, I've worked as, as hard, hopefully, as I can to control that and to keep that back. One of the qualifications of a man of God is that he must not be someone who strives, the King James says, or is a brawler. The Greek word is the word from which we get our word pugilism or pugilistic, which means to box or to fight. So a, a man of God must not be an angry person because there are a lot of things that can happen in church life to make a leader angry. And I, I can't respond in anger. No matter what happens, I can't strike the rock. And so I've worked very hard throughout my life to, to watch anger, not only how I respond to people that I minister to or with, but the people that I live with, my home, my family, my wife, my kids, my friends, uh, the staff that I work with. And, and, and I'm not being proud today. I'm just saying that God has helped me through the years to, to watch that and to make sure that I don't vent on the people that are close around me. And if you had asked me a few months ago, Mark, how are you doing with anger? I would say, oh, I'm doing great. I, I just, I never lose it with people. I, I control it. I keep it. I'm very intense, but I manage it real well. I would have said I'm doing great, really, until something happened about three or four months ago. It seems that there's a sermon series that I preached that, that God is really blessing. I preached it a, actually a couple years ago, I think, this time of year. It's a series is called Truth 101, and it was on evolution. I don't know if any of you remember that series. I covered a couple of other topics, but it was primarily about evolution. I was concerned about how evolution was getting such a free pass in public life. And I felt like a lot of times pastors don't really get into the issues that that, that we should get into. And so I, I rolled up my sleeves and I read and I studied and I researched and I tried to write out the logic trails that I believe would be effective. And I, and I preached Truth 101 and, and I went on to other series. And, and I'm just giving you a little inside scoop here. But, you know, once I move on to the next series, although I remember the basic truth of the series I just preached, my mind's on something else. And I remember we were doing a daily broadcast we were going through material I preached 10 years ago, and if enough time has passed between the time I preach a sermon and I hear it, I can say to myself as I'm hearing it, man, I never thought of that before. But I have. It was obviously years ago. But I had moved on. But God suddenly began to really bless this series in a big way last year, and, and we got a lot of orders for the CDs, and there were seminaries and Bible colleges that were requesting especially one sermon out of that series called Evolution is a Religion. And it was going all over the country. And so I thought to myself, if it's getting that kind of exposure, maybe I need to listen to it again and see what I said. So I, I picked up one of the series over here from, from our, our uh, area where we make our, our CDs and so on and got the series and, and put the CD into the car. And I listened to this sermon as I was driving. I was immediately overwhelmed by two emotions. One emotion, and the lesser of the emotion, was I, I was pretty proud of the work that I'd done. And I don't mean that in, in an arrogant sense, but I, I had done a workmanlike job. I had researched well, and I was, I was proud of the work that I had done. But the second and the more powerful emotion that I felt made me come to the place where I said, you know, I really don't know if I want anyone to hear this series. I actually had some friends 
that were atheists or agnostics. And I had actually thought about giving them the series, but when I heard the message, I thought to myself, I don't know if I want to give them the series or not. It was this. When I heard my voice coming through the speakers in my car, I thought, why is that man so angry? And then it hit me. I'm like all the rest of you. A thousand agitations that I had experienced had gone into my hard drive. And I didn't vent on my wife. I didn't vent on my kids. I didn't vent on my friends. I didn't vent on my staff. But I got into the pulpit, and suddenly there were those evil evolutionists out there, and they became a convenient target. And my anger came out in the worst possible place. You know the irony of that? I, I, I thought to myself, if somebody who was an agnostic heard that, that agnostic would think, that guy hates me. The irony of it is there's probably not a more patient preacher in the world. When you, think about a, when you think about a conservative evangelical fundamentalist, which I am, there's not a pastor I know of who's probably more patient with people who are agnostic and who believe in evolution. And I've caught myself, I've been on the airplane many times or in, in social settings where somebody would sit down next to me and I found out they're an agnostic or an atheist and, and usually I do very well in those kinds of settings. And oftentimes people that would not normally listen to a pastor are not being arrogant. I'm just saying it's a fact. They, they wind up listening to me. And I was so embarrassed when I heard what was excellent material and well-written and, and fairly reasonably, cogently delivered. And yet I thought to myself, the anger in my voice would be a turnoff. And that's what gave rise to the series that you're hearing right now. Because for the first time in my life, I realized that it wasn't enough to manage anger. Are you hearing me today? It wasn't enough to manage anger. I needed to get rid of it. I needed to lose it. And that's why I preach the series. I, I don't preach it because I want you to know. I preached it because I wanted to know. And these six sermons that you've heard, they've been preached to your pastor. I, I'm the one who gets them first. And today's message is the one that I've been waiting to preach for a long time because I've talked a lot about managing anger up to this point, but today I want to talk to you about how to get rid of anger in your life. And if there's anyone like me sitting out there today, and there may not be, but my guess is there might be one or two of us out here today. If there's anyone like, like me that you do pretty well, you handle yourself well, but deep down below, you know there's some anger. And it may manifest itself. I mean, because our personality types are different, for some of you it may manifest itself in agitation. For others of you, it may manifest itself in an inability to sleep at night or maybe even some non-clinical depression. But if you're like me, let, let me give you three powerful solutions. Now, I didn't say they were easy, but they're powerful solutions in dealing with anger. And you have, have, the, have your worship folder before you, and there's, I think there's an opportunity for you to write these down this morning, and I hope that you will. And even though they may sound simple, uh, they're challenging, but they're very powerful. Here is the first one. 
The first one, <laughs> and you say, wow, Mark, thanks for dropping this one on us right at the beginning. But it's just a fact. You must choose not to be angry. You must choose not to be angry. In Ephesians 4, verse 31, the Bible says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Now, those are just multiple words that deal or that describe anger. Notice the Bible doesn't say ease out of them or wait till the feeling passes or vent your spleen and then do something about it. The Bible says, get rid of anger. That's the first thing that you and I need to realize. If the Bible tells us to get rid of it, it must not be necessary, right? See, that's a, that's a revolution for a lot of us because a lot of us think that anger is necessary. Somebody, you know, somebody makes us angry. And we use that expression. We say, my wife made me angry. My husband made me angry. The boss made me angry. People make me angry. Do you realize today, listen to me, do you realize nobody... Do you realize nobody can make you angry? Anger is something that you control on the inside. That means no one can make you be angry. If you've come to believe that someone makes you angry, what you have done is you have turned over a big part of your life. You've turned over control of a major part of your emotional life to somebody else. Now, that's important to me. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I'm the kind of person, if you ask me to do something, I'll do anything in the world for you. If you try to make me do something, you've got a whole different situation on your hands. Now, when I realized that and woke up that, I, I realized that with that personality type and, and that sort of type A personality that I have, when I realized that if I'm angry, I'm ceding a major part of my emotional life to somebody else's control, it, it caused me to wake up and realize, hey, I don't, want to put any, I don't want to put that much of my life in somebody else's hands unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody can make you angry. Anger is a choice. It's not an easy choice to keep from being angry. But when something comes along in your life that causes you to be unhappy, you have a choice to make. You can either allow yourself to be angry or you can say, I'm, not, I'm choosing not to be angry. Now, this is one thing that I watch a lot as, as I've gotten ready, ready for this series. I really believe there are many people who want to be angry. I don't know exactly what all the emotional components are, but I mean, I know people in the ministry. I, I really think when it gets right down to it, they want to be angry. There's certain power in anger. I was reading USA Today this week, and there's an article in USA Today about, about political uh, people from, from opposite ends of the political spectrum who are cooperating with each other on specific bills. And they said that kind of cooperation wasn't popular, and people, uh, the, a lot of these people who are actually cooperating don't want their constituencies to know about it, and the reason is all about money. And here's what the article said, people don't give unless they're angry. In other words, if they're scared real good, then they'll contribute to political causes. And I think there are actually religious ministries that keep their listening audience scared to keep those dollars rolling in. See, there are many people, I think, who want to be angry. It makes them feel good for some reason. Perhaps it, it, perhaps it allows them, like we said in sermon number one, to vent or to be a victim. But I don't want to be angry. I, I don't want anger in my life. 
And so realize this, you must choose not to be angry. Now, as I said a moment ago, nobody can make you be angry. And, I, I, and Stephen Canfield gives us a, 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 powerful, a powerful thought here, and I want to give him credit for it before I give it to you. But it's just a very powerful thought. He says, event plus reaction equals outcome. Okay? In other words, the outcome isn't just based on the event. You can say, well, something made me mad. No, there's another component in here before the outcome is reached, and that's our reaction. Now, although you and I may not be able to control the event, we may have no power to control the event, we have complete power over the reaction. Now, what that means is this. The events that take place, the outcomes in our life, as far as our emotional outcomes and our relationships with other people, we have to take, take authority, we have to take accountability for our reactions because when you look at what happens in your life, your reaction has so much to do with how things come out. For instance, if you're on the, if you're on the road and somebody makes an obscene gesture at you and, or, or maybe yells or screams at you, you have a choice to make. You can smile at that person. And, and, or you can get angry and yell back at them. So you have a choice. If your wife gets upset with you and she says something to you that's really over the edge and it's not, you know, it's not, not the right thing to say, you can ratchet it up. A lot of times conflicts get started because somebody's having a bad day and they say something that's out of line and the other person, even though he or she may not be having a bad day up to that point, they're saying, you know what, if you can say this and turn the volume up at this level, I can turn it up just a little bit higher and it keeps going back and forth in a game of emotional ping pong until the outcome is something that's not very pleasant. So if you want to deal with anger in your life, first of all, you must choose not to be angry. Now here's the challenge for us. You're going to have things that are going to stimulate you to become angry. That's going to happen. That'll probably happen today someplace. What we, must, what we must do is condition ourselves through prayer and through the reading of God's word and through the volition of our own spirits. We have to condition ourselves to realize at that key moment when something is causing us to think about being angry, to say to ourselves, I now have a choice. I can either make this worse by reacting badly, or I can choose not to be angry. Remember this. If you don't take anything away from this sermon, and I hope you take away a lot more, but if you don't take away anything else, just remember nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you be an angry person. That is a choice. Here's number two, and it's tightly aligned with number one. The Bible's big on this. The Bible's big on understanding that you and I have an emotional capacity within our spirits. Opposites cannot reside in that capacity at the same time. So often what the Bible tries to teach us to do is to get rid of the bad and replace it with good. A great example of that's in the book of Philippians where the Bible tells us that we're to think about those things which are good and pleasant and joyful and positive. So what the Bible is teaching us is a lot of times uh, we make a mistake in just trying to get rid of the bad without replacing it with good. I just shared with you that you can choose not to be angry. But what goes in its place? Because if the right thing does not go in the place of anger, you won't be able to deal with this successfully. A moment ago, I read Ephesians 4.31. That's where we started. Where the Bible says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Verse 32, instead, instead, do you see that? Instead. In other words, when you get rid of all the bad stuff, it's got to be replaced with good stuff. What goes in the place of all that anger? Notice there are three things. Be kind to each other. 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Here's what I'm trying to learn. And you pray for me, and I'll pray for you. If you want to get rid of anger, there are three things that have to be in your life. Number one is kindness. And notice the Bible doesn't talk here about kind acts. Because many times we perform kind acts and we think we're kind. You know, we give to the, you know, we give to the people uh, who are in the hurricane, you know, and we, 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 we show acts of kindness, you know. We pet our dog, we say something nice, we buy our wife some flowers. Those are acts of kindness. And they're good, not denigrating that at all. But the Bible doesn't say do acts of kindness. The Bible says be kind. Woo, huge difference. See, if I am kind, that means when somebody is not nice to me, I'll be kind to them. If I show kind acts, I may be kind to somebody who's kind to me. But if I am kind, I'll be kind when somebody's not kind to me. Like up here in the display, you know, in the, in the drama a few moments ago. It's a challenge to keep your spirit when somebody else is not being kind to you. But that's very important. When I think about these three things, kindness, tenderheartedness, and in forgiveness, we're going to look at all three. But kindness to me is sort of like the motivation for everything. What's my motivation for my reaction to my wife, to my kids, to you, to the people who, who listen to me preach, to the people I work with? What's my motivation for everything that I do? The Bible is recommending, in fact commanding, that for us kindness is the motivation. See, the great thing about being kind or thinking about being kind is I can now turn around and evaluate all my actions through that good. I can look back and say, was I kind to my wife? Was I kind to my kids? Was I kind to that person uh, who was not kind to me in the store today? Be kind. Then the second thing that we see here in the Bible tells us to replace anger with is tenderheartedness. This is a big one. There's a word today, at least in the last 15 years or so, that's become, very, it's become a kind of catchword, and it's real close to this thing about uh, of this thing of tenderheartedness. It's the word it's the word vulnerable. See, if I'm tenderhearted, you can hurt me. Now, there are people in life who've been hurt so many times, which is really all of us, but there are people who get hurt so many times that what do they say? They come to the place in life where they say, nobody's going to hurt me anymore. I'm going to get a hard shell. I, I, I'm going to get even with people. I, I'm not going to let you get in to know who I really am because I've been hurt so many times, and I'm going to create this shell, and I'm not going to be vulnerable anymore. The sad reality of that is that person is more vulnerable than anyone else. In fact, that person has just given up the game, handed over, and say, I'll lose, I'll forfeit. Here's what I've discovered about life, ladies and gentlemen. If you love, you're going to be hurt. If you open your heart, somebody is going to take advantage of that. If you allow your heart to be tender, somebody's going to step on it. But what the Christian says is, because God is managing my life, I can afford for my heart to get stepped on every once in a while. It is better for me to be hurt every once in a while than for me to have that shell. God is underwriting this whole thing. God is underwriting my life. He has guaranteed my eternity. He has said that all things work together for good to those who love God. Yes, people are going to hurt me from time to time, but I'm not going to let myself develop a hard shell. And folks, I can tell you this with all my heart. I can testify to the fact that if you live like this, you'll be hurt a few times. 
but for every one time that you're hurt, you'll be blessed a hundred times. Somebody will prove untrue. Somebody will take advantage of you. But what you'll discover in the meantime is that if you go ahead and stay tenderhearted, if you go ahead and allow yourself to be vulnerable, I don't mean gullible. There's a lot of difference between being vulnerable and gullible. I'm not talking about being stupid. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying believing in people and trusting people to the extent that that's wise. But allowing yourself the opportunity to be hurt. That's what the Bible is talking about, being kind, being tenderhearted. And then the third thing the Bible talks about is forgiving. Forgiving. We've talked about forgiving in sermons here before. Forgiveness means that you cancel the debt. Forgiveness means you take the cuffs off somebody. Forgiveness means that you say, I no longer hold you accountable for what you have done to me. Now, here's the thing. You have to choose whether you're going to be an angry person or a forgiving person. And Jesus teaches us this, that we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Here in the text, the Bible says that we are to forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. How's, how important is it to forgive? Well, think about this. How do you think God would feel about you today if he couldn't forgive you? Think about all the things that you and I have done wrong through the years. How would God feel about us right now if he didn't forgive us? The reason why God feels good about us and the reason why God loves us is because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to our sins and we have been forgiven. What that means is now, since we have been forgiven such a massive debt, we are to forgive those people who hurt us. Do you think in those terms? I'm not sure I do yet. I'm working on this. But the next time somebody does something to make you angry, just say to yourself, not to that person because you might make them matter, but just say to yourself in your spirit, I forgive you. I forgive you. Could you do that? The next time somebody yells at you, just say in your heart, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything for that. The next time your wife gets mad at you and, 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 and kind of lets loose on you, can you just say in your heart, you know, I forgive you. I'm not talking about a smart aleck kind of thing. I'm talking about something sincere. The next time, the next time your husband fails you, and he's sitting there on the couch watching TV while you're having to do, you know, while you're doing housework. And I'm not saying that's the right thing, but I mean, just about the time you're ready to get a meat cleaver and show him what it looks like to have a head split in two, could you say, I forgive you? The Bible says, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I'm giving you anger solutions this morning. You know, th this, this is so powerful, and my prayer is that we'll grasp it. Let me give you the third one. And here's one, too, that I'm working on. And that's listen for God. Now, I don't know how your mind works when, when you have some stimulus in your life that's sort of pushing you toward being angry. But for some reason, for me, it's like all my emotions get turned up. It's like all the volume gets turned up. Whether it's a, whether it's a setting where I'm dealing with somebody I don't know, if I'm dealing with somebody I love very much. If, if the climate is getting, you know, if there's some anger involved, it's like all the volume of my emotions gets turned up. And the problem I have at that moment is it's very difficult to listen to God. Now, one thing that we learn throughout Scripture, folks, and, and, and I pray that those of you who follow us of Jesus Christ, I pray you'll grasp this today. One thing we learn in Scripture is that God wants to talk to angry people. God wants to talk to angry people. The next time you start to get angry, 
aside from choosing not to be angry and trying to replace it with the three things that we've just talked about, why don't you just take a moment? People talk about taking a deep breath, you know. That's a great thing, but let's take it a step further. You know, it's kind of like the AA thing that says get in touch with the higher power. And we say, you know what? We know who the higher power is. It's very important to know who the higher power is. Well, it's the same model here. When, you, when you're inclined to get angry, take a deep breath, but go way beyond taking a deep breath. I mean, open up your heart and say, God, what do you want to say to me? Because, see, here's the problem. Angry people don't usually want to listen. Angry people want to talk. Ah, and therein lies the problem. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many brothers and sisters I have today who would say, you know, we said a lot of stuff and we were angry. We wish we could take back. That's the problem. Angry people want a loudspeaker. They want a microphone. They want to talk. We don't want to listen when we're angry. And yet that's the time when we need to listen more than any, any other time. And here's the thing. We need to listen to what God wants to say to us. Remember Cain in sermon number one? He got angry at his brother. It was God who wanted to talk to him. Remember Genesis 4, 6? Why are you so angry, the Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way. But if you refuse... to the Holy Spirit. He's going to live with you. He's going to live in you. He's going to be with you forever. That means if you have determined to follow Jesus Christ, if you've invited Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, you have God living in you. I mean, imagine this for a moment. I mean, imagine Jesus riding in the front seat with you, and you're driving, you know, and all of a sudden there's something that caused you to be angry. How would you react if Jesus was sitting right there? You say, well, I'd probably be a little more careful, Pastor. Well, God is with you. Beyond that, he's in you. I mean, how many times when you're going through something that's really tough in your life, how great would it be to have Jesus right there to say, Lord, what in the world should I do? Wouldn't that be great? It is great because he is there. You can ask him. The thing is, oftentimes we rush off to say what we want to say, we rush off to do what we want to do, and then we mess things up really badly, and then we come back to God and say, oh, Lord, what am I going to do with this mess? What the Bible is saying is listen to God before you get into the mess. <clears throat> I've got to hurry and tell a story. There's some of you who know it very well, and there's some of you who are new to Messiah, and this will be the first time you've ever heard it. But the very ground you're sitting on has a whole lot to do with this point. Do you know that? That's right. And the very fact that you're on this ground right now has a whole lot to do with what I'm saying. When Messiah began to grow back in the <clears throat> mid-90s, we began to realize that we weren't going to be able to stay there indefinitely on the little four and a half acres that we had in South Wichita. I remember in 1991, I was driving out to Lakeview to preach a funeral. And in those days, of course, there was no K-96, had to drive for, I used to joke with the staff and say, if I've got a funeral at Lakeview, I just pack my lunch because you got on 13th and you had to drive forever. One day, I think it was back in 91 or 92, I guess, I was driving across the bridge at 13th Street, and I looked down and I saw a conduit below the bridge. 
I asked a friend who was kind of in with city planning what was going on out here, and he said, oh, pastor, there's going to be a new expressway that's going to belt the northeast quadrant of the city. And I don't know if it was because I'd lived in bigger cities or if it was just something God just revealed to me. <clears throat> the moment I heard that, I knew. I just knew. So in about 1994, <clears throat> we began to search for land to relocate. I really think those, there were just a very few handful of our church that thought we would ever move, you know, because we were talking about moving 12 miles, and it was not a real popular idea back at the time to think about relocating. But we began to look for land. Very quickly, we found out that almost all the land out here along this corridor, long before the expressway was built, had already been sold or it was in the hands of speculators who were trying to make a lot of money on the land out here. But there was one piece of land, and, and I should tell you that like from 13th Street down, the land was less expensive. From 13th Street north, it got expensive because of services. 13th Street, there weren't services out there yet. And from 13th Street south, it was priced by the acre. From 13th Street north, it was priced by the square foot. And I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And I know when they start pricing land by the square foot, you got challenges. And we did. In those days, we had our bills paid. We had about, I think, six or $700,000 cash in the bank. And we wanted to hold back as much money as we could for construction. So I'd, I went to our, our board, and I, I did what I often did. I used to have to be the one to negotiate in those days, and thankfully you have better people to do that today. But in those days, our church was far smaller, and I was the one who went out to negotiate. And I would say to our, our board, set a cap for me. And, and, and what I would do is when I would go out to negotiate, I would say, you know what, this is the most I can do. And it turned out to be a good negotiating technique in a few situations. But I had asked them to set the cap low because we had wanted to hold back as much cash as we could for construction. And I asked them to set the cap at $300,000. And we'd have one of these church gurus come in, you know, they're supposed to know everything. Fancy leather briefcase, 300 miles from home. He's an expert. He came in, he said, you guys need between 15 and 25 acres. Now, we had four and a half acres. I thought that was a lot of land. But he said, minimum 15, maximum 25. So we begin to look for land, and I'll make a long story short because I am going to be preaching in the second service without changing people if I'm not careful here in just a few moments. <laughs> there was this piece of land down here south of 13th Street that there was an option on the land, but the owner said, we don't think that they're going to, we don't think the buyers are going to be able to satisfy the option. They said, we'll sell the land to you, and they even offered it to us, and it would fit the $300,000 price tag, and we thought it was going to work out to make a long story short. They kept holding us back and holding us back and holding us back, and they kept saying, yeah, we're going to be able to do the deal with you. And, and finally the time came, and I had gone to Tennessee to preach a banquet, and Billy Poor, who's now our executive pastor, called me, and he said, Pastor, I'd rather do anything in the world than make this phone call. But he said, i got to tell you, the people bought the land. And after about a year of trying to find land, and most of the land on this corridor not being for sale, you know, I, I was just crestfallen. I thought, you know what, the dream is never going to materialize. But my wife and I drove out here all the time, and, and we, were, we would drive by this piece of land here at 21st and Expressway. And Mary also say, Mark, this is the most beautiful piece of land. What about this? And I said to her, lady, you don't know anything about real estate. I said, two problems. Number one, land isn't for sale. And if it was for sale, I've already priced land in this region. It goes up into the millions so fast, it would be way over our head. I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but I wound up finding out that this particular piece of land was owned by, by private ownership, which was unusual in those days. 
and that there was, there was an elderly couple that lived up in Hutchinson, but there was a, a Christian man here in Wichita who handled their Wichita investments, and somehow I got linked up with him, and, and I said to him, you know what, we're really interested in that land right there on the corner of 26, uh, 21st and K96, and I said, you know, we, we would really like to talk. Do you think there's any opportunity or chance that that owner might like to sell this land to us? He said, I don't know. He's never talked about it, but he said, I'll present it to him. And I said, well, you tell him this. You tell him we're willing to pay $250,000 um, for 25 acres. I thought I'll take the minimum amount of money and the maximum acreage and then I can go up and then we can go down to 15 acres, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like that. And even then I knew it was insane, but I thought, yeah, I got a $300,000 cap, but I'm the one who said it. And so he said, well, I'll present the offer. And to my utter shock, utter amazement, he called me back and he said, yes, sir, pastor. He said, this couple has accepted your offer. They're going to sell you 25 acres at $10,000 an acre, and I am doing glory flips. <laughs> and I can see now why we didn't get that other piece of land. So he said, here's what I'm going to do, Mark. He said, I'm going to bring a contract by for you to sign. You'll sign the contract, and I'm going to drive up to Hutch, and, and that guy's going to sign the contract up there, and that's how it'll work. And so he brought the contract by to me, and he signed it. But in the meantime, the word got out on the street that this land was being brokered, and all of a sudden there were some businesses with real deep pockets that started making that owner some huge offers in the, in the seven figures. And this guy who handled the investments called me back and he said, Pastor, I hate to tell you this, but he said they've decided not to sell to you. Now here's what I want to talk to you about. At that moment, I was more furious than I think I've ever been in my life. You would have just had to have been on the roller coaster ride that we've been through to know how angry I was. I had never talked to that owner before, but I demanded from this man in town that he give me the name of that owner because I was going to call him and tell him what a dirty dog I thought he was for reneging on a verbal agreement. There are moments in time that I can go back and touch as though I were living it right now. I can still see exactly where I, where I was in that old office with the orange carpet. You old-timers will remember how I used to love that orange carpet. It's back today. If anybody ever here wants to have orange carpet, you and I have to have a discussion about that. But anyway, I was sitting at my desk, and I had the phone. I had the receiver in my hand. I was dialing the number, and I was just going to chew this guy out. I knew we'd lost the land, but I wanted him to know how I felt. And one of the few times in my life it felt like the Holy Spirit was putting his hand on my chest saying, Mark, that's not the way to handle this. So I completed the phone call and heard the man's voice on the other end and I called him by name and I said, my name is Mark Hoover and I pastor Messiah Baptist Church. We're the church that tried to buy your land. I said, sir, I know you're being offered a lot of money for this land, but I said, there's something I want you to know. I'm not going out there to build a strip mall or a factory where we could recoup our investment. I want to go out there and build a church. I said, if God wants one of these businesses to have the land, I want them to have it, which wasn't strictly how it felt, but I knew if you don't have faith, sometimes just act like you have faith, right? <laughs> I said, you know, but if God wants us to have it, I want us to have it. But all I care about is that God gets the glory. I could have been talking to a total pagan. He thanked me. Phone conversation lasted about 45 seconds. I hung up the phone as God is my witness. I sat there in my chair and I thought, we've lost our land, but we've kept our testimony. That was Thursday afternoon. Friday, about 3 o'clock, I'm driving to Derby. My phone rings in my car. It's this man who handles the investments. He called me. He said, Pastor, he said, I just got off the phone with the owner. He said, I talked to that Baptist pastor. He's the nicest guy I ever met in my life. 
And I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty nice fellow. <laughs> he said, no, preacher, you don't understand. He said, if I were you, I'd make that man an offer. He likes you. And I thought, well, that's good. I'm a likable guy. He said, no. He said, I've handled his investments for years. I'm not even sure how he feels about me, but he really likes you. He said, there's only one thing. Oh, was the Holy Spirit all over this one. <laughs> he said, he doesn't want to carve up his land. He won't sell less than 40 acres. Well, now I'm in a lot of trouble. Because I've already offered the man $10,000 an acre. I know it's worth infinitely more than that nearly. But I've offered him $10,000 an acre. I've got a cap at $300,000. And now I have to have 40 acres. I mean, you understand, I'm driving while this is going on. I mean, there was not a safe place to be on K-15 right at that moment, I guarantee. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got this got this cap. I guess I could go back to trustees and we might go up to a million dollars if I need to, but I got a cap and it's a real cap. And I said to him, well, look, I tell you what, we want to buy 30 acres at $10,000 an acre. And you tell him, I want him to give us the other 10. He said, well, pastor, you know, the offers are in the high seven figures. He said, you, you know, and I said, I'm sorry. That's all I can do. He said, well, I'm bound by law to present any offer. That was Friday afternoon at three o'clock. Saturday night at 11.45, my phone rings. I picked up the phone. It was this dear Christian man, and his voice was catching. You could tell he was crying. He said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this, but I'm sitting here with the owners, and I have a signed contract. They're going to sell you 30 acres at $10,000 an acre, and they're going to give you the other 10. Well, you, <laughs> we had 45 days before closing. I had to have the EPA study and the title search, and I was biting my fingernails because of all the stuff that had gone wrong. But when the time came for closing, we were all sitting there at the table, and the papers began to pass from their stack to my stack, and it was the first time I'd ever seen the owners. And finally, when all the papers were in my stack, I turned to the owner. I said, Mr. called him by name, and I said, I have to ask you a question. When all those people were offering you so much money, why, why did you do this deal with us? Why didn't you take one of those other huge offers? He said, Mark, I tried. He looked at all of us around the table, but he said, whenever I tried to take one of those other offers, all I could hear was Mark's voice saying, all I care about is that God gets the glory. You're here today because a person who deals with a lot of anger Stop for a moment to listen to the voice of God. For God to say, this is not how you handle this, Mark. And today we're on land that's worth about $15 million. And God gave us a miracle. And all I'm trying to say to us today is it's not enough to manage anger. It's not enough to control it. You've got to get rid of it. And you get rid of it by choosing not to be angry and by replacing it with kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And finally by listening to God. I'm sorry, I know I preached a long time today and I'm going to cause you problems as you're leaving the parking lot and I'm sorry for that, but I just believe this is so important. Don't you believe that's, this is important? This is so key in all of our lives.